I think the little bit nerdy is inaccurate. I'm uh, through and through total nerd, uh, total geek. Every week it seems I'm finding a new shiny tip or toy, uh, you know, training technique that I, you know, cannot tell the world fast enough about. Um, I don't know, it's fun being me. Hi, I'm Lindsay Smith, host of Unrivaled's Inside the Jersey podcast, the podcast where athletes share their journey to becoming pros and the passions that fuel them outside of their sport. Today, our guest is New Jersey Devils defenseman Connor Carrick. Connor is a mental health advocate, a coffee connoisseur, and the first active NHLer to enter the world of pod- podcasting. Let's dive on in. Connor, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Lindsay, I'm well and uh, impressed at the the bio one take wonder. It, it usually takes me four or five takes after I kick my guest off the podcast uh, and, and get the bio right. So I, I appreciate the talent there. Well, thank you. I mean, I did stumble over the word podcast just a smidge, but that, that, you know. that was a Wi-Fi clip. That, that's all that was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it was it all the hitched. Zoom thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Connor, I really love that you have so many passions in life. I mean, hockey, mental health advocacy, coffee storytelling. Um, let's start with coffee because I think that's a fun one to start with. Where did your passion for coffee begin? Started by accident. We were playing, I was uh, playing for the Hershey Bears, American League club for the Washington Capitals where I was drafted originally in uh, 2012. And we had a Keurig, which, you know, we'll not say that word again on the rest of the podcast, but I had found these uh, like Tim Hortons K-Cups at a Bed Bath & Beyond. And of course, hockey club you know we had a bunch of Canadians on our team and I bring them to the rink the next day because it was kind of the thing you kept all your k-cups underneath your stall and you didn't you didn't touch anybody else's like you had your own sort of private deal and uh it was a hit I'd found you know uh, the 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 glory the Tim Hortons k-cups in the states and just from there started to climb the ladder to you know finer and finer coffees whatever I could find on sale at the grocery store and that and then uh my wife Lexi had gotten me I think it was a French press. That was the first step. And then I got one of those Italian uh, mochas from like a world market. And then that was my thing. I would, you know, set it and jump in the shower in the morning and be ready when I got out. And then when I got traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs. That was game over. The two uh, trainers there, Paul Ayotte and John Jeller are two of the biggest coffee fanatics I've ever met. They travel on the road with, you know, full-blown uh, espresso machine setups. And they taught me everything I know today. That's amazing. I love that they travel with an espresso machine because I've low-key thought about doing that at some point in time in my life. Do they you have travel it. now with they yours? They have it. I, I will. I have uh, these little – I drink this purity coffee. It's this organic stuff at home. Um, I'm, you know, into the mold-free, toxin-free coffee stuff. I'm a little off the deep end that way. Uh, but they're almost like little tea bags. So I'll, I'll travel with that on the road if I have to. Otherwise, I have a little AeroPress, which is sort of like a smaller uh, espresso machine unit, like a like a manual press. Because at home, I have the glass, you know, um, like hand-blown Chemex, and I couldn't travel with that. So now that you have been in the coffee game for a little while, what would you say is your signature drink? I'll do two. I either do uh, like a, a homemade uh, pour-over where I weigh everything out and do um, – I use the same parameters every time. There's a coffee shop out of Boston called George Howell. Outstanding spot that uh, they give like their recommendations or their secret sauce on, on how they brew each particular coffee. So I'll 
use their guidelines. Or what I'll do is uh, it's like a keto coffee or a, a high fat coffee where you'll do a tablespoon of the MCT oil, tablespoon of grass fed butter, and then you can add, I mean, gosh, cinnamon, uh, beef gelatin, collagen, whatever you want, uh, maca, you know, adaptogenic mushrooms, and you blend it all up. And it ends up like a latte consistency. So anyone that's, you know, kind of addicted to the latte uh, texture can, I'll bring them to the dark side with that. And just, that just depends on nutritionally what my goals are that day, what I'm trying to do. Um, but those two are my, my go-tos. I'm curious, has the art of coffee, not just drinking it, but the creation and the process of perfecting it, has that become kind of a calming ritual or a safe space for you? Yeah, it's my Zen. It's uh, how I start every day. I like to start every day with a bit of beauty and it, you have to pay attention because you pour at certain particular times. And if you miss it, like it's just between me and the coffee, like no one else will really taste maybe the difference, but I know I screwed up uh, the recipe. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's something that I do for myself. And for years, like my wife, Lexi didn't drink coffee. And I always thought, I'm like, I wish she drank and loved coffee the way I did so that I could do something nice for her in the morning. Um, and now, you know, after years of being together, she's, you know, like I said, I, I converted her and, uh, you know, it's kind of our, it's kind of our thing. Leave something nice for her to start her day with. I love that. That's really sweet. Uh-huh. All right. So another one of your passions is of course, mental health advocacy. Now you've never been diagnosed with a mental health illness, but you have struggled with neurological twitches and dealt with anxiety. When did you first start pu- publicly talking about mental health and, and why did you start? Probably not up until either this past summer for, you know, really openly or, or the previous, maybe the last year and a half or so it's sensitive as a pro athlete. It is exude strength, exude uh, confidence at all costs, bury any feeling that you don't want to feel anything that isn't uh, powerful or something you'd see on a Nike commercial, quell all that down, especially for a player, you know, like myself, uh, it's no secret. I'm not, you know, a top five player in the national hockey league. I'm a player that uh, night in night out, I have to play at out of my potential. Let's call it an eight or nine uh, or 10 out of 10 to even stay in the lineup uh, the next night. So it uh, it's something that I take, you know, very personally. I just think I understand how difficult it was in my own head to manage the emotions of pro sport of, of who I am and who I wanted to be. And I wanted to show the work. I wanted to show that this takes sets and reps just as physical training would. And I just, I thought that there was a gap there. Whereas young athletes, it's, it's so instinctual. It's so taught to put the physical reps into, to develop your skill, you know, take that very seriously. Uh, But for how mental life in the game of hockey is, if you were to ask most coaches and GMs, like what percentage of the game is mental, it's going to be a high percentage and the training time the focus just, it doesn't match. What would you say helps you the most in, in your daily life when dealing with mental hardship? I have a journal. So one of the things that I'll travel with all the time is I have a personal journal and I'll just put any life notes, uh, people sort of like a brain dump, any loose thoughts, any loose ends, uh, I'll throw on a page and organize it from there. So people I want to get in touch with, uh, phone calls I owe back, training uh, tips that you know I want to focus on particularly that day. That's a big one. And then 
meditation it, it gets uh, a little bit of a woo-woo rap but to me it can look like anything that you want it to look like uh, and i'll purposefully go into something uh different a lot of weeks as if this was to be my meditation so for example today we had an off day we had the big snowstorm in jersey and i did like a little sweat uh, for an hour and a half and i went into it with this is sort of my movement meditation today. I, I am, I'm feeling a little stale from staying at home. I'm a little bummed about the, you know, surprise off day. Um, I am going to, you know, let movement uh, be the medicine that it is and, and, and do my thing there. You know, sometimes it's that, sometimes it's as simple as going for a walk uh, or I'll, I'll get on, you know, my, in a cross-legged position with my, you know, my, my hands out and start to hum and whatever it takes. When and what was the first conversation you had about mental health with your family? I think I was in second grade or so when I really started to exude some of these uh, neurological tics or, or anxious behaviors. So for example, I learned how to snap. Uh, we would take these Illinois state achievement tests, you know, like the, whatever the standardized tests are in your state. And I'd be worked up and all of a sudden my teacher would be like, Hey Connor, like, can you not, snap during the entirety of the, of the, of the test. It's bothersome for other students. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, and within seconds I'd be back doing it and it would kind of cycle through different things. Like for a while there, I would kind of like shake my head as if I had hair in my eyes, you know, like the Justin Bieber, you know, uh, you know, teenage flow. It got so bad. I had a bald spot for a while there for my hockey helmet. Like it, and you know, it, uh, I was starting to lose hair. It would, it would chafe so bad. Um, I would chew my shirt, you know, like a lot of kids will chew their shirt, but all of a sudden I'd look down and like my shirt, you know, if I was wearing a gray t-shirt, it would be like wet down to my like belly button. I'd be like, where did I go during this test or, or during hockey games? So any real high intensity type activity, I was high performing. I did well in school. I was a good athlete, um, but there was something else going on. And I just kind of accepted it as a, as a part of me until I got a little bit older and understood the cost of not addressing uh, some of these emotions and, and being more cognizant of how I wanted to feel either before, during, or after the sporting event. So having been involved in mental health advocacy, and I know that you've talked to countless experts and people about it, what's the biggest thing that you want people to know about mental health? It takes work uh, daily, if not hourly um, to purposely curate how you want to go through your life. That was something that uh, was of great interest to me. And really what it was, my inspiration was both personal. I knew what it was like in my own head and sort of my relation with the hamster wheel upstairs. But I also would see it in other people where there were either coaches or, you know, maybe teachers growing up where this particular teacher was sort of grumpy for like nine straight months. So all of a sudden this person, you know, it might be called a mood, uh, but now it's actually integrated into their personality. And so I was somebody that, okay, if I'm, you know, maybe anxious around my sport or around a big time uh, school test, if I let, if I let that bleed into my daily life, then I'm actually just an anxious person instead of anxious around you know, the, the high performing event that I was, I was staring at. So for me, I wanted to, you know, be able to uh, be flexible with myself instead of uh, being in a mood for really my entire life. 
So now that you've got all of this knowledge as an adult and you've had these experiences throughout your life, you're about to be a first time parent. Your wife, Lexi, is expecting. How do you hope that will help you be a better parent? I've spent a lot of time in my own head being hard on myself. And I think that breeds a certain empathy where when I'm with others, I really go to great lengths, or at least I try to, to be uh, warm and, and accepting and understanding of the person and to see what they're going through, whether that's, you know, with my wife, whether that's with teammates. And I think parenthood is sort of the ultimate test of that. Cause we're going to go through the rigors together. We're going to go through the cycle of life, this child and I, and I think it's been a big exhale moment. You know, anytime you throw your, your stake in the ground, you say, I stand for mental health advocacy, or I'm a, you know, super nutrition. If you're going to be a, the leaders in my world that, that I really look up to do a great job of walking the walk. They, they not only talk the talk, but they walk the walk of, you know, trying to aspire to be who they're claiming to be. And I think when it comes to parenthood, there's going to be, you know, such an added element of accountability where this child is always watching, learning faster than an adult ever could. Uh, and I think we both handle that responsibility super seriously with also an element of like, don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah, there is no perfect parent. Um, you know, you're going to do your best. Everyone else, you know, is doing their best not to ruin their kid. Uh, and, you know, at some point you got to take it easy on yourself. So we'll see. I mean, just from what I know about you and Lexi, I think you guys are going to be awesome parents. That little one will be in a very loving household with you guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. And if you've, if anyone follows us on Instagram, maybe our parenting style of our dog is a tip, but uh, swaddled in love, I imagine is going to be, you know, the hot and heavy future of our child. Yes, absolutely. All right, Connor, we can't have you on the podcast without talking about your podcast. It's, it's really cool to see you doing something that not many NHL players have done by embracing digital media and showcasing your personality publicly. Is that something that just comes naturally for you? Honestly, no, I'm not. I, uh, the, the whole curation of it, the, you know, taking photos, for example, on Instagram, the captions come easy. I'm, I'm a decently thoughtful guy, but as far as my artistic capabilities, I'm, I'm pretty limited, but I think it's the impact. I think it's the relationships that I'm after. I think back to how impressionable I've been to the different podcasts that I've uh, been able to learn from and, and, you know, take with me. And I want to repackage some of what I've learned up to, you know, what would be the younger me uh, anonymously out there. And it is cool in the social media age, you know, we're a connection away from really anybody. So in terms of uh, accessibility, I try to, you know, it really does lead to real relationships. And one way that us as fans get to have that access into your life is, is through your podcast, The Curious Competitor with Connor Carrick. Now, you are about 30 episodes or so in, but take me back to the very beginning. What was the why behind starting that? I wanted to hear myself talk. No, <laughs> no I'm just kidding. Uh, that's a big part of it. Um, I was amazed at the podcast world. Podcasting came to me through my wife, Lexi, you know, had mentioned, she's like, you know, Connor, you're always saying you're trying to read and you're just kind of an on the go guy. You do have this range of interest uh, where maybe sticking to something is something that you struggle with. And so she recommended this podcast medium to me and I told her to kick rocks. I'm like, I, I need to just focus on what I'm doing. Uh, I need to say no to more things. That was, you know, something I was practicing at the time. 
And as soon as I started listening to podcasts, I was hooked. I, I couldn't get enough of them. I was staying in my car, you know, before getting to the rink kind of thing to listen to every last second of a good one. If I, if I had one going and I said, I have to get into this world. I want skin in the game. I want to be able to call uh, the Robin Sharmas of the world, the Mitch Marners of the world, uh, you know, different teammates I've played with different thought leaders that I've, I've looked up to and steal an hour, an hour of their time and uh, you know, put my own spin on it. It's been a lot of fun. So I, I know this is a tough question because I'm sure they're all equally amazing in their own ways. So I won't ask you what your favorite guest was so far, but instead whose episode really stuck with you and why? I would say uh, Robin Sharma was one of the ones from season one. Talk about a person that has spent the time to integrate and organize a lot of the concepts that I try to embody. He's just so much further along in that process. And he's helped millions of people and corporations around the world. And you're just amazed at how well-versed he is with his word and with his thought and with his intention. I think that was a big one. Rich Clune is another favorite. He was a key teammate of mine in a, during a very important time in my career. And he's just a very sandpaper textured person. Everything he does is, is so authentically him. And uh, he just has this, you know, very intense alpha male energy that we had, we had a good time together. I'm sure there were some nerves for many reasons getting this podcast started, but within the hockey world specifically, what has the reaction been like? It's been strong and we haven't, we haven't, I haven't had to necessarily face the music yet because we had this long layoff, you know, with COVID to uh, launch. And I try to use that to my benefit and to be fully frank, I wanted to, if you go into the rink one day without a podcast and then the next day you do, now you're the guy who last night started a podcast and it's a conversation. Hey, you know, why did you do this? What, who do you think you are maybe uh, versus if it's something that you've just, done for a long time now it's something that uh, gets swept under the rug people won't ask about it because you've been doing it for quite some time so in general the feedback has been extremely positive uh everyone who you know frankly knows and, and cares for me has really rooted for me openly to my face so I've, I've been extremely grateful for the nudge in the you know right direction uh that way and i'm sure you know there's some players or uh you know, chirps coming my way uh, when we get back on the ice from from opponents. And I think that comes with the territory. And, and to be fair, if no one's saying anything negative about you or your career or your podcast, it's just because it's not big enough or good enough yet to welcome any criticism. So I'm here for it. You said just bring it on. I'm, I'm ready. That's I'm it. Ready. <laughs> All right, Connor, let's talk a little bit of hockey before we let you go here. So before we had you on the podcast, we asked around a little bit, and this is what we heard. Everyone said, you're a really great guy, a phenomenal teammate, and that sometimes maybe you can be a little bit nerdy. How accurate do you think those descriptions are? I think the little bit nerdy is inaccurate. I'm uh, through and through total nerd, uh, total geek. Uh, every week, it seems I'm finding a new shiny tip or toy, uh, you know, training technique that I, you know, cannot tell the world fast enough about. Um, I don't know. It's fun being me. I, I hope uh, other people get to experience the the passion and enthusiasm that I get to on a, on a daily basis. And I've been this way for a long way, for a long time. I was always a 
sort of show and tell learner. When I learned something as a kid, I'd, I'd bring it home to mom and tell her all about what I'd, I'd learned that day. And it stuck with me ever since, sort of my, my learning style. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people see that as a very positive quality because the two other descriptions that came before that, of course, were great guy and phenomenal teammate. I know you skipped right over those, but I'm not going to let you just uh, gloss over those ones. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. What has been your greatest achievement in your NHL career to this point? I think two things sticking around. Um, it's hard to get to the league. It's harder to stay. Next year will be my you know eighth year uh, where I will have spent time in the National Hockey League. I started out as a 19-year-old punk. I was the first player outside the 2012 you know NHL first round draft uh, to play an NHL game. I was a fifth round pick. I came in with an edge on my shoulder and I've, I've had it ever since. And the second thing I'm probably most proud of would be the comment we just talked about being a great teammate. You know, earlier in my career, uh, having grown up in uh, around Chicago, there were some championship, you know, Chicago Blackhawk teams. And there were a lot of stars for sure that you heard stories of, but there were a lot of unsung heroes, a lot of, you know, character players that, you know, did key things in the locker room, did key things at key times during the game, uh, played through injury. And I always admired, I said, uh, you know, hopefully I can go through my NHL career with some degree of, of security, right? Because that means you're a top-end player and you're, you're signing multi-year contracts. But above all, I wanted the people that I laced them up with, people that I had the most respect for, I wanted to earn their respect and, and know that they got an honest effort out of me, you know, night in, night out. Absolutely. What would you say your goals are for the remainder of your career? Because you have a lot of years left in you. You know, we'll speak in terms of, uh, you know, the last dance, right? Everyone that had everyone's attention uh, this summer and Steve Kerr, right? Uh, people talk about the dedication of, of Michael Jordan and what a beast he was. And growing up, that's the type of player I want. I wanted to be a Connor McDavid, a Wayne Gretzky, uh, a Bobby Orr type, a Brian Leach type, uh, you know, a Michael Jordan type. But now as I've gotten older, you know, I, I'm – in the middle of my NHL career, I still feel my best hockey's ahead of me, but I really have an appreciation for the Steve Kerr sort of mindset where you're putting in your daily work, your daily hours, uh, and you never know when that'll get the show in the light of day. You never know as, you know, a player like me, you know, depth defenseman, this could be the year I solidify myself as a second power play guy, uh, solidify myself as a power, uh, as a penalty kill guy. Um, you know, for example, in New Jersey, we have a captain, uh, Andy Green, who's played, you know, two gazillion hockey games as a very understated, you know, simple player who's just stuck it out year in, year out. Uh, and that's all you're trying to do as a pro is maximize the surface area of, of your luck by working hard and showing up every year. Well, Connor, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and best of luck this season. Lindsay, this was awesome. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely. This has been the Unrivaled Podcast, giving it. I'm going to do that one again afterwards. I jinxed it. <laughs> you did. You did. Got in your head. Got in your head. We're just going to have to put a logo over that one and call yeah, it a day. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> All right, Connor, for real, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Course. Really appreciate your time and uh, sharing your story with us here on Unrivaled. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Really well done.